think it's kind of ironic this morning uh, we talked about, you know, I got my call to preach when I was 11, and my birthday was just a couple of days ago. I'm 22 now. Uh, when September rolls around, I think it was early September, I will have been preaching longer than I had lived without preaching. Uh, and I have to say, within that short amount of time, he does grow sweeter the more that I serve him. He does show me more and more and more of his love. Not that his love for me was less at the beginning, but I just didn't see it until now. I didn't see it until I was faithfully serving him. What we're going to be talking about tonight is a message. I think the last time I preached it here, if the notes in my Bible are correct, was in 2016, I think. It's entitled, What Makes the Mighty Fall? What Makes the Mighty Fall? We're going to be in 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. I want to draw your attention to that middle phrase that says, but be thou an example of the believers. In the Christian life, and in my life in particular, we often find people that we idolize or use as examples. People or couples that, that teach us great things of the faith and people that help push our faith in ways that we would never have been able to do on our own. There are some consequences, good and bad, to this. If we have somebody that's an example to us or that we idolize, we can have a faithful and Christ-like person beside us that we can act like. A pastor should be someone that is an example to the believers. A father and mother is someone that should be an example to the believers. A Sunday school teacher should be an example to the believers. And the reason why that thing is so important, the reason that Christ tells us in this book to be examples of the believers because we can help other people grow more Christ-like. We can help people to become more faithful by showing them our faith, by showing them what we've been through. We can have a married couple that is faithful and has been married for a long time that younger couples can get advice from and grow. I'm not married, but I've seen that plenty of times at this church and other churches that I've been to. It's good to have examples it's good to have people that you look up to. But when you do that, we need to always remember, never forget that all people, every person, is not perfect. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect example. There is no one that is the perfect example of everything we're supposed to be doing except for Jesus Christ. So yes, we're called to be examples of the believer. We're called to have people in our life that are examples for us. But if we're not careful, if we begin to idolize those people, bad things can come of it too. One thing that I've seen in my own life and in the lives of others is that when we, be, when we idolize someone, especially for their faith, when they fall, we might fall too. When they fall, we might fall too. I know several people at several different churches that I've been a part of, even the church that I went to in Temple, uh, Temple Baptist Church in, in Tennessee, where as soon as the pastor said something or as soon as somebody said, did, said or did something that was an example to believers, people left. People left over things that were so small, things that 
would not make any sense to leave over. Whenever you idolize those people, whenever that person becomes your example instead of Christ, instead of understanding that, yes, people can be an example, but we have to remember that they can fall too. They're just as susceptible as anyone else is. That can cause us to fall back in our faith. We should never allow ourselves to piggyback off the faith of other people. We could never grow on our own in our own personal relationship with God if that's all that we do. I've seen many people that have been close to the church, that have been fighting for the church, and then as soon as the person that they looked up to left, they were gone. That's not good. That's not good. Because oftentimes, the people that have examples in their life that fall, they're also an example to someone younger. The older people of the church, if you read in the New Testament in this book in Timothy and a couple other ones, you find out that older people in the church are to be examples for everybody. And then people that are married couples that have been down the way a little bit are supposed to be examples for people that are younger than them. And then you keep on reading down and down and down the line and everyone's supposed to be an example. People that are my age should be examples to the teenagers. Teenagers should be examples to the smaller children. And even the smaller children often have even smaller kids looking after them. Leaders form even at those young ages. It's good to have examples, but it is important to make sure that we never idolize those examples. With all that said, each and every one of us should be a kind, Christ-like person that people don't idolize, but that people can see and use as an example. I could go over the short list of things that you would expect out of someone that's an example in the faith. Someone that reads their Bible constantly, somebody that prays constantly, someone that's faithful coming to church, and someone that tells other people about Jesus Christ. And those are key important things in being an example. But instead, I wanted to look at it as at an example. I wanted us to look at someone in the scripture that is an example of someone that God used in a mighty way. But this person is also an example of what to stay very, very far away from. Tonight we're going to be talking about the example of Samson. The example of Samson. Gary, if you want to go ahead and go to Judges 16.4, before we talk about the life of Samson, and I know a lot of us would think, well, this person's no one to look up to. They failed, they messed up, they, they ended up dying at a temple, they ended up giving away their secret for, to the Philistines and doing all these horrible things. But let's take a look at how Samson would have been seen by his people. Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. That's a mighty man. He slew 1,000 Philistine soldiers with just the jawbone of a donkey. He carried a massive city gate on his back up a mountain. This is not a man that I would have wanted to get in a fight with, Brother Jeff. This is not someone that you would want to be in a fight with. This was the man that you wanted on your team. This is the man you wanted on your side. I am sure, even though the Bible doesn't say this, I'll use my sanctified imagination, that the little Israelite children probably treated him like a superhero. You think about all the superhero movies, is Superman and Iron Man and the Hulk and all these crazy people that have all this strength and they do all these crazy things and how little children look up to them like a hero. 
I could imagine a small Israelite boy saying, oh, look at me, you know, he's picking up a rock. Oh, look, I'm as strong as Samson. Look, I'm, you know, pretend like he's carrying the city gate on his back. Maybe he's got a little toy of a line and he's beating it up with his bare hands because he knew Samson could do it. Samson, before he fell, was someone that was a great example. He was a one-man army and he was unbeatable, unbeatable. Now, doesn't that sound like someone that you'd want to have as an example in your life? This man was so close. If you pay attention to the scripture, every time that his strength is mentioned, it says that the Spirit of God came upon him. So not only was he a superhero-like figure with super strength and did all these crazy things, but he was so close to God that God was the one that gave him his strength. That God was the one that was giving him all these powers. Someone that when you looked at him, you knew he had to be close to God. Because God was not doing this for anybody else. Does that not sound like someone you'd want to be your leader? Someone that you'd want to be an example in your life. Someone that you can look up to and say, If this man is following God and God's letting him do all these mighty things, I will follow him and hopefully I'll get closer to God as a result. Well, I'm sure that's how they were in Samson's day. We've talked about some great things that this man has done. We've talked about some things that, and how his people would have looked at him. But what could defeat this great man? What could defeat a man that had God's blessing so strongly? I ask you tonight, what could make the mighty fall? Well, if we look in Judges 16.4, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. There's one thing that makes the mighty man fall, the mighty woman fall, the mighty teenager fall, the mighty child fall. Loving the wrong thing. Loving the wrong thing. In this life, you'll either choose to love God above all things or you'll choose sin every time. You either choose to love God for first and foremost or you choose sin. And that's what Samson did. That's what this mighty man did. When our relationship with God takes a back seat to anything and anyone, we will fall every single time. It doesn't matter how strong we are. It doesn't matter how close to God you are. If Pastor John has some sin in his life that he starts to love more than God, he will fall. If any other speaker, if any other preacher, if any other person that you see as an example in your life starts to love sin just a little bit more than God, they will fall. They will fall. What makes the mighty man fall today is the same thing that made him fall all the way back then. It was loving the wrong thing. What makes men of God that have seen miraculous things quit? What makes the faithful family quit on church and God? What makes the servant of God fall into worse sin than he did before he was even saved? Loving the wrong thing. The first thing that I want to look at, now that we've looked at the, we have diagnosed Samson and how he fell, let's look a little bit deeper into it. Let's look at some things that led to loving the wrong thing. The thing about sin and the thing about Samson is that he didn't just jump right in. 
He didn't just jump right in and decide that he was going to become the worst sinner that that time had ever seen. He took little steps. There's one thing about Samson that's really interesting. He was a Nazarite. If you don't know what that means, it was basically an extra vow that someone could take in the Old Testament. It meant that he could not cut his hair. He could not touch any corpse, no dead bodies. He couldn't touch anything dead. And he could not have grapes in any way. Not off the vine. He couldn't drink wine. He couldn't do anything of the sort. See, if you read the life of Samson, he didn't just find himself one day in the valley of Sorek in love with this woman named Delilah. In other words, he didn't just jump right in to where he wasn't supposed to be with the wrong person. He took one small step at a time. He broke his vow one small step at a time. In Judges 14, 8 and 9, we see that he touched a dead body. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, the one he killed with his bare hands. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands. He touched it and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So this man has a great victory. He takes out a lion with his bare hands and he comes back. And inside the dead body that he wasn't allowed to touch was something sweet. You know, a lot of times in our life, we defeat sin. But then we pass it again on the way and it looks a little sweet. It's got a little sweetness to it. It's not as fierce as it was before. I've already beaten it. It's not that big of a battle anymore. But there's something sweet about it. Notice, not only did he eat, but he brought some for his father and his mother. Sin doesn't just affect you. When the mighty man falls, it's like dominoes. A lot of people go falling. He gave it to his father and his mother. And notice the last phrase, he didn't tell them where it came from because they would have known they would have known that he broke his covenant with God that he took that small step I'm sure that little honey after killing that lion seemed like something very small and other people ate that all the time and probably did stuff like that all the time and it was even connected to his past victories but it was wrong of him not only did he do that but if we go back to Judges I think it's 16.4. Yeah. Notice, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. So I told you the three things that a Nazarite's not supposed to do. He's not supposed to cut his hair. He's not supposed to touch a dead body. And he's not supposed to eat grapes or drink grapes or you know, wine or anything like that. Well, I looked up what Sorek meant. And what Sorek means is red grape. So where he was, where Samson found himself, someone that wasn't supposed to touch anything that had to do with grapes. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He was in a place that was literally called the Valley of Red Grapes. He constantly found himself in places where he would constantly be tempted. He knew that he wasn't supposed to touch grapes, but yet many times, not even just here, he found himself right where he knew he shouldn't be. And I think oftentimes you and I do the same. When I was helping Miss Teresa earlier this week, me and Toby were talking uh, in the back of my car. 
And I said this phrase to him. I said, sin is born where temptation and opportunity meet. Sin is born where temptation and opportunity meet. At the Valley of Sorek, he was not supposed to be there. Everywhere he would have turned would have been a temptation for him. And everywhere he turned would have been an opportunity. And there, where he wasn't supposed to be, was where he met what finally took him out. We often do not jump all into sin, head first into destruction. We often start with small things that we don't think will be that difficult to kick. We lie a little here, we steal a little here, we take one little look at something we know that we shouldn't, and then we often find ourselves in a place that has a lot of opportunity to sin, but we ignore it just because we like the pull. Many times in my own life and in the lives of others when I've talked to other people about this, what we'll do, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, what we'll do is we'll find something, I don't know, a page on the internet or we'll find something on Facebook or something like that where there's a lot of opportunity to sin. But we don't quite fall prey to it at first. But we keep visiting it again and again and again and again until it finally catches up with us. We find ourselves in a place that has a lot of temptation and a lot of opportunity. And when those two things meet... Sin is bread. We see something by accident, but linger a little bit longer than we should. We allow the opportunity to flirt with us just a little bit. Just a little bit at a time is all it took for Samson to find himself in the valley of Sorek with a woman named Delilah. Not only do we see that there are some things that led to loving the wrong thing, but let's take a closer look at what Samson really loved. The Bible says he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. So let's take a look at her. The Bible says that she was a harlot. If you don't know what that is, you can ask your parents, okay? The Bible says that she was a harlot. Basically, her job was to be sweet and pleasurable and to bring as many people in as she could. Sin's job, just like that, is to be sweet, pleasurable, and to bring you in. One step at a time. In Proverbs 5, 3 through 5, the Bible says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. It says she's good on her face, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. One thing that Delilah had to have been, she had to look good in the moment. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think Samson would have fell for her if she wasn't looking good when he saw her. Sin does the exact same thing. It does have an ugly side. It does take hold on hell, but it doesn't let us see that. It lets us see in verse 3 where it talks about her sweet lips, it talks about all these things that draw us in. That's what it lets us see. But just like Delilah, it had a bitter end to it. It had a sharp end to it. And her steps took hold on hell. Sin looks good in the moment, but under that thin beauty is hell itself. Sin is only pleasurable for a season, and then it will destroy you. Just like with what happened with Samson 
and Delilah. Not only do I see who Delilah was as a person, but the Bible says that Samson let Delilah live with him in Judges 16 and 16. Judges 16, 16. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Samson could have just kicked her to the curb. He could have just left her in Sorek. He could have just talked to her once and been done with it. But that's not how it works, is it? When sin comes our way and we let it defeat us just once, it doesn't just leave us alone. It'll go home with us. And if we let it in, it'll press us daily and daily and daily until our soul itself is vexed to death. He didn't reveal his secret at first to Delilah. He did not think she was a threat. I mean, how could she be? She's probably just a small little woman. This man had taken out a whole army worth of people by himself. But what got him is that he let temptation live with him every night. So I ask you, have we let sin move in? Have you let sin move in? Have you allowed yourself to be defeated just once and now it's followed you home when you should have kicked it to the curb? It wasn't beating us at first. It didn't seem like a big deal at first. But now it seems unbeatable. Now it seems like we can't even get away from it. Have we allowed sin to move in? Not only do I see that there were things that led to it, and we see what he loved, but let's take a look at what loving the wrong thing does. Delilah was used by the enemy. The Philistines had tried to defeat Samson every way possible. They had tried to kill this man any way that they could think of, but it never worked. They had sent armies after him. They had tied him up and tried to kill him, and none of it worked. So the Philistines waited for Samson to let his weakness in himself. Notice that the Philistines didn't introduce Samson to Delilah. Samson let her in himself. And then the Philistines came and used that to destroy him. Just like that, the devil waits for us to let us in in our life. He lets it grow and fester he can send temptations our way, but only we can let them in. Every sin in our life is something that we have allowed through the door and has been living with us ever since. I also noticed that Samson ignored the warning signs. This was the craziest part of this story for me. Samson lies with Delilah several times up until she finally tell, you know, he tells her the secret and she gets him taken out. So what happens is, you know, they're together and she asks Samson what his secret is. He lies about something. And then that exact same thing happens to him the next morning. And then the Philistines try to come and kill him and it doesn't work because he lied about it. Sounds like a pretty big warning sign to me. Every time that this happened, I think it happened at least three or four times in the scripture where he talks about new cords and binding him with ropes and putting his hair in, in some kind of lock or something like that. And it never worked. But the exact same thing happened the next morning and he still let her live with her. He ignored the warning signs. He ignored the fact that the enemy was already trying to use it to destroy him. So I ask you, are there any warning signs that we are all ignoring? Are there sins 
that we have allowed to move in. And when we wake up or whenever we try to do something for God, it holds us back just for a second. It might not destroy us yet, but it holds us back just for a second. But we still let it continue to live with us. Is there anything in your life that you're letting live in you that should not be there? Something that you know the devil himself is using to try to destroy you bit by bit. Just like with Delilah where she urged him every single night and, and he ignored all the warning signs and he kept letting her come in. Are there any things, any sins or temptations that we have allowed in our life that are affecting us? Are there sins or temptations that we have allowed in our life that are causing us to sin more? Are there sins or temptations in our life that are causing us to be controlled by it more and more and more? In my life, sometimes when I get into a sin, it'll just be a little thing. It'll just be a small thing, something that doesn't take too much time, something that I think, you know, it can be swept under the rug. But then once you let it live with you, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to control. It just snowballs until you don't have anywhere to hide it anymore. Until you don't really have time to do anything other than that sin anymore. And then it crushes you under its own weight. Do we have sins like that in our life? The enemy used Delilah on Samson to bind, blind, and enslave him. In Judges 16.21. 1621. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. We see that Delilah, this little woman, this non-threat at first was what caused this mighty example to fall, this mighty man of God to fall. This man that got his strength directly from his relationship with God to fall. Just something small led to all this. Sin, when it catches up to you and grows in your life, will blind you to it. And it will blind you to other sins. You'll think, you'll think that you're okay. You'll think that maybe that one little sin's all I have to deal with. But it's bringing in a lot more than what you think. It's blinding you, and it's binding you. Whenever we allow these sins to live in our life, unchecked, unfettered, allowing them to be our little pet sins, not only does it blind us to other sins, but it binds us from wanting to do the right thing. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like God wanted you to do something or you felt like you needed to do something good, but whenever you tried to do it, you just felt so guilty about what you had messed up, maybe the day before, or maybe a couple hours before. You say, well, I'd love to do that, but God's not going to want to use somebody that has this in my closet. God wants to, I know you want to use me, but I just have all these things. I have this sin, I have this pet sin that I know you're not going to like. Do we have anybody like that today? Is there anybody that would say that? Is there anybody here tonight that would say that I have allowed these pet sins to tear me down and I'm close to being brought down like the mighty man Samson? The devil uses those pet sins to bind us, blind us, and enslave us again. Those sins we let in will cause the ultimate downfall of us and anyone else 
watching this. A little woman defeated a man that slaughtered thousands of men. And a little sin can defeat a man that's defeated countless sins. The reason that I brought this message today, other than the fact that the Lord, I believe, gave me it to give you, is that we need examples today. Christianity needs good examples today. We have a lot of people that would slap Christian onto their name, but they're not. We have a lot of people that would slap Bible-believing on their name and never even open the book. We need Capital City Baptist Church, everyone up to the children, to the adults, to be examples of the believer. The church needs examples. If the church has no examples, it's going to grow either not at all or very, very slightly. Not only does the church need examples, but the world needs examples. Will they accept every example? No. Did the Philistines accept Samson? No, they didn't. But he was still an example of God's power, even though they were enemies with him. I'm sure anyone that had family that was in the Philistine temple that Samson took out in his last day probably thought, well, there must be something behind this God. There must be something behind this man. He took out a whole temple by himself. He was blinded. He was so weak he could barely grind in the grindhouse. I saw him last week. He was struggling. But now he's got enough strength to be able to push down an entire temple by himself. There must be something to that God. The world is looking for examples whether they know it or not. The church needs examples. The world needs examples. And the next generation needs examples examples. I don't know where I would be if there, wouldn't pe- if there weren't people in my life that really loved God and were examples of Christianity for me. And I don't know how many times I've heard somebody come behind this pulpit, sing a song or preach a message and they talked about the people before them, the generation before them and how they influenced them. And we need that again. You ask yourself, why does this next generation seem to not love God the way that we did at their age? Why do they not love God as children like we did? Well, a lot of them don't have any examples. A lot of them have examples that are not good examples. A lot of them have people that refuse to be examples. And a lot of them have examples that have sin at their back door. And as soon as those examples fall, so will that next generation. So I ask you tonight, where are you? Are you living as an example Are you living in a way that will keep those sins out? Do you have a Delilah that you're letting live with you? Do you have sins that you're letting stay with you every single night even though you know it will lead to destruction and hell itself at the end of it? If you do, it's time to get rid of them. It's time to come to the altar and kick them out the door and let Jesus live in where Delilah used to be. It's time to allow Jesus to control us instead of those sins. It's time to go ahead and kick the pet out and let Jesus in, in our lives.
We must live as examples. We must stop letting the little sins in. We must remove the opportunities to sin that we can. We must look to the future and see where our actions and thoughts can lead. We must kick out those pet sins now. We must not bring in weakness for the enemy to use. We must watch out for all the warning signs. We must love the right thing. We must love God more than our sin. We must love God more than our sin. If we don't do that, we'll fail. Doesn't matter if we have everything else right and just that wrong, we will fail. Doesn't matter how mighty of a man you think you are, how mighty of a Christian you think you are, but if you put one thing above God for even a moment, you will fall just like the mighty man Samson did. I'll pray and then I'll give it back over to... Ben, I guess. Father, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for giving us the example in Samson. And I pray that through him as an example, we would know things that we should do and we should know some things that we need to get rid of. Lord, I thank you that you have freed us from sin. I thank you so much that you have shown us your love and freed us from sin. But I pray that we would live that way that we would kick out those pet sins, we would kick out those Delilahs, we would kick out all those things that we're allowing in our life just because we like the little push that it gives. Lord, I pray that we would look past the beautiful face of sin, the skin-deep beauty of sin, and see the hell within, and see the death itself that is approaching in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that every person in this building would be an example to the next that every person in this building would be such a kind and loving Christian that the church, the world, and even the next generation would say, I want that. I want that in my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.